You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Would you join with me in prayer this morning? Let us gather, friends, with the saints in light, who live in light and connection with God, the one who promises comfort to all who grieve. Sovereign of creation, all that we have comes from you. Physically distanced, we gather in your presence, surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, people from every tribe and nation, every kindred and tongue, to lift our voice in honor of your hope, to be transformed into your saints, to be sent out to gather others to be transformed. Hear the hearts we offer, work in us and through us. You are the most high God, glory to you, O God, and to the lamb, our shepherd, and to the spirit that unites us all, today, and evermore. Amen. At this time, we are going to uh, set a moment aside for lighting of candles and uh, for a moment of silence. And so we do this as part of that celebration of All Saints Day. Like I said, All Saints Day is celebrated in honor of the saints of the church, whether they're known or unknown. And so here specifically, um, we'll take a moment to light candles um, for uh, anybody whose presence is gone from our sights, but not from our hearts. So when people that you've loved and lost, people who've been influential in your faith and your journey and where you are, um, would you join me in prayer? God of light and hope, this morning we take time, we light these candles uh, in our presence, in this community, in a space of remembrance that what you are doing is so tremendously bigger than each one of us, and yet each one of us plays a role. God, we remember specifically those saints who have been impactful for us, who have changed and transformed our lives, uh, who have influenced us and brought us to this place. I'd invite you now, if you have a candle present, go ahead and light that candle. And you can leave that lit for the remainder of our service here. I'll be lighting three candles here on behalf of our entire community this morning, if you don't have candles present. And as we light these candles, I invite you to take a moment of silence in remembrance of those who have made impactful, um, who've been impactful in your life and in your journey. On this day of the saints, let us give honor to those who hallowed this earth by their prayers and by the way that they walked in the light of God. Let us remember the giants of faith on whose shoulders we stand. On this day of the saints, let us give honor to those who hallowed the struggle for justice by love that they have shown and created a beloved community. Let us remember these blessed ones whose examples we should follow. 
On this day of the saints, let us give honor to those who built our families, who sacrificed for our well-being, who founded institutions of learning, who braved the storm, who fought the good fight, and who may still be fighting on. We stand on their shoulders. God of light and transformation, we thank you for the saints. We are your people. We carry your presence. Use us and all that we are to accomplish your mission in the world. Multiply our efforts to meet every need. This we pray in the name of Christ, with whom you and the Holy Spirit reign in our hearts and lives. One God, now and forever. Amen. Now's the time in our service where we'll transition into taking communion. So if you haven't had a chance yet, feel free to grab something um, that you have accessible to you um, for the bread and the cup. Um, uh, feel free to share in the chat if you feel so led. Time-honored tradition here at Central. Um, and I'm going to read us uh, a, a uh, what is it called? A Halloween meditation, a Halloween blessing. Uh, from Reverend M. Barclay, uh, who we just love uh, in, in this community and speaks to uh, an embodied uh, um, realization of how we hold on to Christian traditions, uh, traditions practiced for millennia in, in a world um, that um, needs new approaches and fresh understanding and language um, to, to, to make him um, make our faith and our way of life real. Um, so uh, with that in mind, uh, I'll go ahead and read this. Hopefully you've been able to grab something and then we'll take communion together. Hear these words. Listen, God is howling at the moon. Let the strange come out of hiding. Let imagination rise from the grave. Let all who are named freak, monster, weirdo, or that which others should fear, call out to the gifts in each other. When destruction is made normal, we need all the wild, all the odd, all the unusual we can get. Blessed be the tricksters, stirring up trouble when evil desires calm. Praise God for the prophets who linger with us like ghosts. Hallelujah to the children knocking on the hearts of strangers chasing joy from door to door. When evil is lurking in broad daylight, we practice our courage in the night. Nourish that which has bite, unleash the impulse to scream, feed the desire to haunt the unjust. Let us keep trying on possibilities like costumes until we discover the ones that will leave evil trembling. And with that, I invite you as our call as the people of God to disrupt, um, to haunt the unjust and to keep evil trembling, to take um, what it is you have for your bread and your cup and take together as the body of God. Amen. Hey, Max, would you send that to me, what, what you just read? Yeah, sure thing. Thank you. All right, I'll switch over to announcements. Good morning, everyone. All right, so nothing going on this coming week, but we do have some events looking into November. Um, the park play day on the 14th will be at a Royal Park in Pasadena at 1 p.m. And then we also have a holy happy hour at Lincoln Beer Company on the 17th, and that is in Burbank. And that will be from 6 to 8 p.m. And that's it right now. I'll pass it on to Aaron. Thanks, Angie. And um, I'll, I'll put together another um, get together at a bar or something like that before Thanksgiving, before the Thanksgiving holiday. It's kind of a shorter month because um, Thanksgiving, as we all know, is at the end of the month and it's usually a, a travel time. I know uh, Emily and I and the kids are going up, flying up to Oregon uh, for that. 
Anyway, uh, prayer requests, words of thanksgiving. Um, now is the time for you to unmute and raise your voice. If you have something you want to share, as always, you can always put it in the chat column if you'd rather put it there, and I'll do my best to see it. But uh, does anybody have anything they'd like to report? Oh, thanks, Matt. Um, Akilah, oh, it's Akilah here. Hi. Hey, yeah, how's it going? Uh, yeah, a while ago, I actually prayed for my um, daughter's aunt who had cancer, and so she's finished her chemotherapy, and they haven't found there are no more cancer cells in the lymph nodes in the cancer area. So I thank you for that. And then I was just asked that you pray for my daughter. She's away at college. She's having a hard time right now. So okay, sure, yeah, yeah. What's what's your daughter's name, if I may ask? Oh yeah, Naila. 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 Yes. Beautiful. All right, let's pray. Loving God, we lift up Naila uh, during her hour of need, this this time of difficulty she's facing. Um, we pray for her strength. We pray for her holistic well-being, that she might receive the, the peace uh, and the strength, the hope that she needs. Uh, we ask that she might be surrounded uh, by loving supporters, people uh, like her mom and others that um, know what she needs and can and can meet those needs. Um, but bless her, be with her, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Um, somebody else this morning. All right. Well, that Maximilian, I'll hand it back over to you. Thanks. So today I'm going to share uh, um, a requiem, um, one of the most famous. So if even if you're not familiar uh, about, uh, with it by name, you'll probably uh, recognize the tune. Um, but for those who, who don't know, requiems, um, they're still written today. They're, they're modern composers who um, develop their own requiems. Um, I'm trying to think. I think there was a, a recent uh album that someone did a requiem on i'm um oh and dear dear evan hansen i think it was has like a, a requiem track but um if you're familiar with that show <laughs> uh you might be uh you might be able to connect the dots but a requiem is a remembrance it's a song of um the dead um it is as jo as um bob was mentioning at the beginning of the service um many of um the requiems and the traditions that have come from um, our own Christian tradition, usually what we would call the Roman Catholic Church now, but many high, high liturgical um, church traditions um, have services and music and liturgies and prayers and readings specifically to focus our thoughts and our memories and our, um, and our uh, love on those who have passed. Um, so that's the idea behind a requiem. Um, it is a, a song written for the dead. Um, and as and as Bob noted, both named and unnamed. Um, so this is just a short clip. The whole requiem is, I think, takes at least an hour to play start to finish. Um, but this um, this is the most famous part from Mozart's um, requiem um, in, in D minor, Lacrimosa, is this um, movement. So I hope you enjoy the beautiful music, but the deeply meaningful uh, music at that. Uh, and this is the one, if you've seen the movie Amadeus, this is the one that he famously writes as he is dying with his, uh, his friend slash mentor Salieri. But there's great history to unpack there too. But I give you Lacrimosa from Mozart's Requiem. This is really choppy and I'm not sure why. I think it's I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, change the size of the window and see if that helps. 
I also keep getting uh, ad, little admit pop-ups and it freezes when they just come up. So I don't know if it's good. Oh, I took away your host control in case that helps, Max. Thanks, Aaron. I think the uh, the spirit, the internet spirits have come over here. I, I was I, I was going to say, should we exercise the demons? I don't think I've ever had uh, my internet this choppy in here. Hold yeah, on. after we after you said you got fiber optic and it's awesome. I uh, insulted the spirits. Yes, yes. All right, let's try this again. It, it might be the full screen, but let's see if this works. Let's try again. Come on. Oh, wow. Well. I don't think this wants to work. It won't even, it won't even play. A Halloween haunt. It's all good, man. You can you see the picture? Yeah. 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 I think it's the full screen that's messing it up. So here you go.
Well, there you go. And you probably noticed there at the end too, the closing of Amen. So it really is a prayer um, and a prayer for those who have passed and uh, a, a reminder of our own uh, mortality and just a beautiful piece of music. So hopefully um, that was a, a meditation for you on this queen. <clears throat> all Saints Eve, Hallows, All Hallows Eve. Yeah, that's right, All Saints Eve. All right, I'm done now. <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks, Max. So today is the final installment in our critical thinking series. And today we're looking at fallacies, uh, among some other things. Uh, we're going to cover a significant amount of ground today, but it's all related. Um, we're going to begin by looking at fallacies and what constitutes a valid argument. In general, there are about 10 common fa fallacious arguments. There's more, but these are the basics, and I've got a nifty little uh, visual here. A, uh, maybe you've seen this before, I don't know. Let me pull it, do the share screen thing. All right, multiple participants can share simultaneously. Oh, oh wait, yeah, here we go. There it is. All right, so there's 10 common logical fallacies everyone should know. And we're just gonna just briefly touch on these. In fact, I should probably put it in the chat window. Um, so ad hominem, you know, uh, occurs when someone attacks directly the person making an argument rather than criticizing the argument itself. There's the straw man, when someone attacks a, a distorted version of the original argument that they themselves created, appeal to authority. I won't read all these, uh, but you can basically, uh, you know, get the general idea of what a fallacy is from this. Um, you can find this uh, pretty much anywhere online as well. But these are the these are the general basic fallacies and invalid arguments that are common, I guess you could say, to our culture, our times, uh, and those are important to know for a lot of reasons, obviously. But um, what makes an argument or claim invalid or illogical and others not? What do all these fallacies have in common? Well, they each contain what's called a non sequitur. Non sequitur is Latin for it does not follow. Fallacies are fallacies pretty much because they make conclusions that do not logically follow from the premise. For example, someone who says, my neighbor got the COVID vaccine, but they still got COVID, therefore the vaccine doesn't work and I'm not going to get one, uh, that's a non sequitur. And probably more specifically, the fallacy called a hasty generalization. Being able to spot non sequiturs and illogical leaps in judgment is one of the keys in being able to spot fallacies. Another feature common in many fallacies are what's called ad hoc justifications. What's an ad hoc justification? It's it's an impromptu, arbitrary explanation for something that someone might pull out of thin air to resolve a difficult problem. For example, when Trump lost the election, his supporters and surrogates immediately started making all these ad hoc justifications like, well, there's, there's massive voter fraud across the whole country, especially in these you know, five or six battleground states. And then when every lawsuit was thrown out of court for lack of evidence, new ad hoc justifications were created that said, well, all these judges, these, these 60 judges, including the Republican ones, you know, hate Trump or they're being paid off, right? Or Satan himself, <laughs> you know, there's a spiritual warfare taking place. Satan himself has blinded these, these justices, uh, you know, to the truth. Uh, these are all ad hoc justifications people pull out of thin air that people create to avoid right, to avoid other more reasonable explanations that they find unpalatable for one reason or another, usually because the, the reasonable explanations go against their biases and beliefs, right? Now, just because an argument contains a non sequitur, or just because an argument contains uh, an ad hoc justification, just because an argument is a fallacy does not automatically make it untrue. It just makes it less likely to be true. For example, there are some slippery slope arguments 
about the effects of climate change that make some, some big leaps in judgment, but may not be, in fact, incorrect, right? Some are saying that if we don't reduce our current carbon emissions by you know, a certain amount, the resulting climate change will result or will cause the total collapse of the global economy and, and water shortages, which in turn will result in water wars, uh, which in turn will result in, in mass death, starvation and disease, which will wipe out, you know, half, half of human life on the planet, along with, you know, many other species, civilization will effectively come to an end. You know, most, most climatologists do not think the effects of climate change will be that severe, but it's not, it's not impossible. Uh, that, that, that's an example of a slippery slope argument that's somewhat illogical, but may not actually be incorrect. So just because an argument is not completely sound doesn't mean that it's not true. Um, it's just less likely to be true. And, and we need to be very careful about such arguments and, and take them with a grain of salt. Being able to distinguish between logical and illogical arguments, being able to spot non sequiturs and ad hoc justifications keeps us from being deceived. It keeps us from making poor decisions. You know, think of being able to recognize these things as like having certain filters in place, right? Filters in place that protect you from misinformation and from the, the charlatans, uh, from the con men uh, that employ them to exploit us. You know, having these critical thinking skills in your toolbox is, is really important. Another tool to have, another really great tool to have at your disposal is one called Occam's Razor. Occam's razor is an axiom of critical thinking that basically says the simplest explanation for something tends to be the correct one. The, the term Occam's razor is named actually after a guy named William of Occam, uh, who was a Franciscan monk that lived in the 14th century. The actual principle itself is, is much older and probably dates back even to Aristotle, but but Occam used it a lot because he lived at a time when the medieval church was attempting to merge science and theology into this grand unifying theory of everything. And even though uh, Occam was a Christian and a Franciscan monk, no less, he believed this was a bad idea <laughs> and rightfully so, because there were major differences between science and theology. Now, he's right, or he was, he was right, still is right, you know, 600 years ago. So Occam used this principle to delineate or make a cut, thus the term Occam's razor, to, to make a cut between logical and illogical arguments. Again, the principle is that when faced with competing explanations for something, for some kind of phenomena, uh, the simplest solution tends to be the correct one. In other words, the solution that makes the least amount of assumptions or, or ad hoc justifications he was, he was saying that if one can describe a phenomena in nature through physical processes and therefore without appealing to supernatural causation or supernatural power, uh, you know, then we should go with, you know, the natural explanation. That's probably the correct one. If one can describe, for example, the, the ocean tides as being caused by the gravitational pull of the moon instead of... Uh, uh, by supernatural power of an invisible deity or sea sprites or sea monsters, then the physical and natural explanation is probably the correct one. One should not make ad hoc justifications when other less complex explanations will do. That's Occam's razor. And, and there's a lot of situations in life, you know, Occam's razor can be applied to. For example, Going back to a relatively contemporary example of the election, the last, the 2020 election, what's more likely that Trump's, that, that Trump legitimately lost the election or there was a grand conspiracy involving hundreds of election officials and, and their countless employees and personnel you know, and volunteers in, in numerous states, in numerous counting centers, right? All working in concert to defraud Trump and then of course, to cover up the evidence of, of, of election fraud, right? Occam's razor says that it's far more likely that Trump legitimately lost the election that there was, than there is this grand and complex conspiracy involving hundreds, if not thousands of people, right? So, so there are some of the tools we can use to distinguish between logical and illogical arguments, between the rational and the absurd. And this is absolutely essential to know. This stuff's absolutely essential to know, I think, as people of faith, 
because religion, unfortunately, but not surprisingly, is chock full of ad hoc justifications, non sequiturs, and fallacious arguments. I have a, a good friend at Windsor, which is the assisted living home I work at part-time, and I'm going there today as I go there every Sunday. I work there part-time as a chaplain. Uh, her, my, my friend there, is, uh, her name is Jody, and she's a 90-year-old former Catholic nun <laughs> uh, who became an Eastern Orthodox Christian, and, and she and I have, have the best conversations. She's fabulous. I love her, and she's actually quite progressive, but but she likes to say, it doesn't matter, Aaron, what my interpretation of the Bible is, or what I think of God, or what your interpretation of the Bible is, or what you think of God. All that matters is what church tradition says. What does the chorus of, of the church fathers and bishops have to say about how we should read the, and understand the scriptures? Because that's the truth. That's, that's what she says. And this is a classic appeal to authority or a uh, appeal to tradition argument, which is an interesting thing for a former Catholic nun to say, who at some point decided that the Roman Catholic Church shouldn't be trusted. And she left that and, and went on to the Eastern tradition, the Eastern Church, and believes now that they are the, the authority, right? Uh, I don't think she stopped that through entirely yet. Uh, but you hear similar arguments about the Bible. Or, or, or the creeds of the early church and how, you know, those are unassailable documents because they're steeped in tradition and were created by holy men, you know, uh, ostensibly working under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know. But all that is appeal to authority arguments and appeal to, to tradition arguments that do not necessarily hold water. And those are common in the church. We're all familiar with that. But there are other common uh, invalid arguments uh, used in the church to support certain ideas that we need to be aware of. I think even God himself, herself, their self, can, can sometimes function as a non sequitur or an ad hoc justification for things. Right? For example, when people say to someone who's going through something terrible, like a, a, a terrible uh, medical diagnosis or, or horrific injury, right? Uh, people often say, oh, this must be part of God's plan for you. You know, take heart. God must have a good purpose for this terrible thing, even if you can't see it now. One day you you will, when you get to heaven or something, right? This, this is a terrible thing, right? <laughs> this is a terrible thing to tell someone who's going through something um, awful, right? But it's also an ad hoc justification meant to quickly extinguish any, any anxiety or doubt uh, people have about God's realness or power. God should never be used, in my opinion. God should never be used as an ad hoc justification to explain why terrible things happen to good people or, or why there's so much unjust suffering in the world. We need to resist that temptation. Uh, such ad hoc justifications are not only unsound arguments, but they, they turn God into this capricious tyrant who you know, uses unspeakable sufferings and, and terrible tragedies to teach us humility or to have faith in him or, or to love him, right? These are terrible ideas. Uh, such problematic claims are what, in fact, drives many people from the church and from the faith entirely, uh, and, and rightfully so, actually. Uh, you, you get the atheism you deserve, John Caputo likes to say. We get the atheism we deserve. If we claim that there is an all-powerful, all-loving God on high who can, you know, heal babies of cancer or, or stop a tsunami, a tsunami from happening, don't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when people find that God impossible to believe in. And an ad hoc justification used to avoid certain difficult truths that that God, you know, isn't real. You know, you get the atheism you deserve. What I'm saying is there are better, more compelling, and more healthy understandings of God to be had, even within the Christian tradition. And for me, that understanding of God begins at the cross. The cross signifies the death. You could put it this way. The cross signifies the crucifixion or the death of all ad hoc justifications about God. The crucified God is not a symbol of an all-powerful deity, in my opinion. The, the God revealed in the suffering and crucified Christ 
is not, an all, is not all powerful, not in the way we think of power. But this is a God of love, a God who stands in solidarity, whose power is to be one who stands in solidarity with the powerless ones of the world, the oppressed and the suffering, the downtrodden, the outcast, the poor. Such a God shows us how we can find redemption and new life uh, through standing in solidarity with these as well, by standing in solidarity with each other in our sufferings and sharing in each other's sufferings as Christ, in fact, shared in ours. In this way, the cross is about, you know, for me, it's about courageously embracing life as it really is in all of its finitude, in all of its fragility, in all of its joys and sorrows, just as Christ did by embracing this human frame and death itself and the symbol of the cross in the cross itself. In this way, I think we find salvation, redemption, and new life, but only in that, only in the embrace of the cross, only when we pick up our cross and follow Christ and, and embrace uh, this idea of sharing each other's sufferings and embracing life as it really is, not covering it over with ad hoc justifications and non sequiturs. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that famous, uh, that great uh, German theologian uh, of the 20th century. You know, this is the eve of All Saints Day and Dietrich Bonhoeffer deserves to be remembered as, as a saint, in my opinion. He talked, he talked about these ideas that I'm sharing with you today extensively in his letters and papers from prison. And I'll conclude with this today. He talked about how God in the modern world can no longer function for us as the deus ex machina. There's a term for it. The, the deus ex machina, meaning God from the machine. And it's an ancient literary device. The deus ex machina is an ancient literary device that dates back thousands of years to the time of Greek theater. In Greek plays, if there was a problem in the plot that couldn't be resolved, uh, the director would kind of cheat and he would or she would uh, put an actor on a crane and have them play the part of a god or a goddess that that swoops in, that flies in over the stage at the crucial moment and saves the protagonist from whatever and, and resolves the story kind of magically, right? Thus the term God from the machine, God from the crane. But this was always seen as a way of cheating and, and maybe something kind of even comedic, something that would make the audience chuckle or groan, <laughs> perhaps in incredulity, because you know, it's ad hoc, it's a non sequitur, it, it's, uh, it's out of place. A good example of, of the deus ex machina uh, plot device in film today would be the eagles at the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? You know, when, when Frodo and Sam are stuck on Mount Mordor after throwing the ring into the volcano, but they can't get down off the mountain because it's now covered in lava. But then some giant eagles, you know, fly in and carry them away back home to the Shire. Begs the question, right? Where were these eagles when they were marching for months on end through hellish conditions and risking their lives to reach Mordor, right? Uh, the eagles could have just flown them there in a gif, and this whole story would have taken like a day or something. <laughs> where's, where's the fun in that though, right? You get the point. Uh, God can no longer be used as the deus ex machina for us, in my opinion. Uh, God can no longer be an ad hoc justification uh, we use to employ, uh, or we, we employ to explain away life's perplexities. God can no longer function this way in the modern world. We have to come of age, or we have come of age as a civilization and as thinkers. That's pretty much what this series has been about. You know, uh, the fact that we have come of age as thinkers, and we need to embrace that. Uh, and therefore, we must reimagine God in ways that work for us in this context this modern context. I think Christianity is uniquely capable of doing that because of the cross and the, and the timeless teachings of Christ. And this is a good place for us in our series uh, on critical thinking to end today, because again, today is Halloween, uh, but it's also, this is also Reformation Day. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, the day when we commemorate the reimagining of God by the, the medieval church and people like Martin Luther, who 504 years ago today, October 31st, 1517, was the day that Luther officially began his deconstruction, and it was a deconstruction, uh, his reformation and, and reimagining of God for his day and time. The reformation taught us many things. 
One of those things is that God must always be reimagined anew in the world. We must always be reforming or reimagining God for our time. In fact, one of the axioms of the Reformation uh, became the saying, semper re formanda, semper re formanda, always reforming, always reforming. The Reformation is ongoing and never ending. What began 500 years ago is still rolling and unfolding today. Luther and the reformers were, were deeply committed to the power of critical thinking and the need to bring it to bear on the church in order to keep the church healthy and to purge it of its, of its false idols and to purge our faith of its false idols, its ad hoc justifications, its non sequiturs, these kinds of things. We are simply continuing this intellectual tradition here. So let's say today and always, semper re formanda, always reforming. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, going on this unique journey with me over the last month. I don't know another church that did a series on critical thinking. Um, I hope it wasn't too arduous, uh, too academic. And as always, we want to open it up for discussion today. Um, I covered a lot of ground in this series. We covered a lot of ground today. But does anybody have any questions or comments? about anything we talked about over the course of this series or specifically today regarding fallacies, non sequiturs, ad hoc justifications, Occam's razor, or the or Bonhoeffer's deus ex machina. Anybody have anything they want to comment on or question? Akila, what is your favorite? I don't. What's what's that Deus Ex Machina moment in Toy Story Four? In Toy Story Four, when the toys are about to get melted and crushed in the oh three, you're right, Matt. It was Toy Story Three. Yeah, they're about to get crushed in the garbage thing, and then yeah, yeah. The claw comes, which is really funny because of course the little aliens are zealots who worship the claw. So, <laughs> it's just oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. So, it makes uh, sense. It makes sense that you would know that as an English lit teacher. <laughs> yeah, but it's also just really funny. It yeah. works on levels. So it, it it does. It's found everywhere. I mean, the literary device, the plot device is found in a lot of different a lot of different films, whatnot. Yeah, and the one most people don't like is Jurassic Park when the T-Rex comes at the end. Yeah, yeah, it saves them from the from the raptors. Yeah. Spoiler alert, everybody. Sorry, <laughs> you know. As an avid Jurassic Park fan, I have to say it's it's a glorious moment. The people no, who I love that it, are objectively wrong. I agree, Bob. I love it. I think it's great, but <laughs> yeah, and Lakin, good point. Phyllis Tickle uh, talked about how the Reformation is bound to happen about every four hundred years, and historically it has. And we're right now five hundred years after you know. The, uh, the the Western European, you know, German, I guess you would even say Protestant Reformation, we're kind of in the middle of another one. Do you guys think that's true? I, I think that's true. And, and it's interesting, what stimulated the Protestant Reformation in Germany was probably the creation of the movable type printing press just a few decades before, right, which, which expanded literacy in, you know, in, in ways never before seen. It was a, it's always, you know, these reformations, these spiritual reformations are often stimulated by tech technological advances. And of course, what has happened in our lifetime to create the current spiritual reformation is perhaps the internet, right? Another, another incredible step forward in our ability to communicate and pass information. Um, I think that theory holds up. That's a really good point. Internet, yeah. Great comments. I'm curious, if, um, what, do you, what do you all think it means to reimagine God for our time? You know, in what ways, I'm curious to hear in what ways, you know, have you reimagined God in, in your life? Um, and what ways have you been forced, maybe that's a better way to put it, forced, compelled to reimagine God uh, on your journey? And uh, you know, I'm curious to hear about that some and what, what were the catalysts for that in, in your journey, in your life? Anybody want to share that? I can share, Aaron. I don't mind. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things for me was um, 
yeah, this, because the example you gave of everything happens for a reason, God is, it's all God, you know, like all that stuff, um, which didn't work for me either. And then I guess I just, as I started reading more and learning more, just redefining God is everything good that I see because like it doesn't, and I remember it didn't, like it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> that we could say, oh, this is all God's plan or this is whatever. And then like something like the, the World Trade Center attacks happening. And it's like, but where is the God in that? And it's like, well, God, the God, God was there with clear skies for all that time after so the um, the workers could find people in the rubble. Like that's the kind of stuff that works for me or finding the goodness. And I think, you know, like Mr. Rogers, like look for the helpers and look for the good things. And it's something that I've had to reconcile too. Like when thinking about, cause we have, we have monsters among us, right? Like real life monsters. And um, like thinking about somebody like Bill Cosby who, um, you know, just all this terrible stuff that he did, but also all this good that he did at the same time. And it's like, well, God was in the Cosby show and Fat Albert and this, but that monster was not God. So, you know what I mean? So those kind of things just help me reconcile. And it's not always something I can talk about in other spaces because people are just, you know, people have their own ideas, but it helps me because then it's like, I don't have to try to figure out um, why bad things happen. I can just say, well, there are good things that happen. And I like sure. to focus on that. So, sure. yeah. I think that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Somebody else? Um, <clears throat> Emily here. Hey, Emily. Hey. Um, I think this is sort of like, the thing I've been trying to discuss for so long with people that (laughs) might have, might not be shut down to the idea that like you said, God might not be an all powerful God. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of going through that right now, um, figuring out like how I feel. And I'm Diana gave me a book to read. Why do bad things happen to good people? Cause she thinks the conversation is very interesting in that Mm -hmm. um, book, but I'm trying to figure out like, because bad things happen, like Job happened, right? That was God trying to teach us a lesson of like faith. So bad things can happen um, in instances where you have to learn something, right? Like most people don't learn anything when everything's hunky-dory and great. You just go on living pretty, you know, robotic. So I do understand that those bad things happen. But if we think about like, sex trafficking young girls. Well, I'm not really sure who needs to learn a lesson there or why that needs to happen for a lesson to be learned. So it's things like that where I'm like, are you nuts? So it almost seems like I've been trying to figure out if God, the all powerful who came in a cloud and a bush and all this kind of stuff that used to talk to people, you know, literally, when Jesus died or when Jesus came, God's, that was God's all powerful becoming human. Then I don't think he can be, be all powerful. Then, then he dies and sort of regains the power of like faith almost that he is then the person we are to have faith in who will help the people or be there for the people who, the little girls who were in sex trafficking, not necessarily take them from it. So I'm sorry if I'm all over the place. I'm just trying to like get thoughts out of my head into a conversation. Um, Well, I think you're saying a lot of things that people here would people, other people here are thinking, but keep going. Yes. I mean, I think, I think that's about all I can bite off and chew right now is because I (laughs) I really feel like there's a lot to be said about because then then it doesn't make sense of why the World Trade Center is, you know what I mean? And the sex yeah. trafficking and the the people who are living on the streets and being gang raped and beat up and like, wh- like what's, what is that? You know, yeah. so I'm interested if anyone has any 
you know. Yeah. No, that's thank you for putting that out there. Does it, somebody want to respond to that other than me? <clears throat> you know, for, for me, Emily, and what I kind of focus a lot on here at Central, for those of you who've been here for a while, you've heard me you said, probably say this a lot, but it, it always bears repeating. I, For me, I think we need to, you know, in some ways radically, in some ways radically reimagine Christianity from our evangelical roots. In other words, um, for me, the cross it, it symbolizes not that everything makes sense and that, and that uh, ultimately there's a purpose for everything and that, you know, everything's going to be okay. No, the, the cross is a symbol that everything's not okay. That, that, that life and suffering is often unjust and absurd. Uh, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. And the scripture says, God is crucified. I mean, I, I think we cover over this, this, this incredibly incendiary idea with, you know, in the church, and we hide from the truth of the cross in that God is dead, and God is crucified dead. But then in the aftermath of, of the crucifixion of that certain God, that God of religion and power, that tribal deity that, you know, delivers Israel from its enemies, Jesus did not deliver Israel from the Romans, like he, you know, this idea that God is here to deliver us from our enemies. This God is crucified. The temple curtain is torn upon his death, signifying the, the death of a particular understanding of God and what is raised, what is resurrected in the world in the aftermath of the death of that understanding of God is a God of pure love. God who stands with us in our brokenness, who meets us in our sufferings. Yeah. The, the, the gospel is not that everything makes sense and everything's going to be okay. The gospel is that even in the midst of the fact that life is profoundly unjust, unfair, and not okay, we can find hope. We can find new life. We can find renewal. We can find peace. We can find healing because God is with us. As you know, the, the, the Jesus of the Garden of Gethsemane, who begged his disciples to stay awake and to pray with him, to minister to him in his hour of need. You know, Bonhoeffer says that, that Christ summoning his disciples to pray with him in the garden is God summoning us to, to meet him in his sufferings in the world. I mean, that's, that's a radical idea that God himself, herself, their self, is suffering in the world and praying to us, praying to us, in fact, that we might, you know, be there for each other, you know, and be there with him, herself. I just think we need to realign how we think of God. I really do. And, and the cross is a symbol of that. And even early on, it represented that in the, in the church. It was seen as nonsense. It was, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, the cross is utter foolishness, you know, to, to both Jew and Greek, to everybody, in other words. It's utter foolishness and nonsense. This idea that God is crucified and that is somehow powerful or meaningful, that, that was absolutely, you know, bizarre. But Paul said, for those who understand, it is the power and the wisdom of God. You know, God is found, you know, God is found in this life, this world now as we give ourselves over to it, if we give ourselves over to love, if we share in each other's sufferings, we find everything we need. You know, it's not that everything's going to be okay and someone's going to come in and save today. No, it's, it's that the cross is real and we, 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 are, we are in fact called to pick up our cross, you know, to embrace this life and all of its difficulties and lay our lives down. And in that we find peace and renewal and hope. Does that make sense at all? I mean, I, I realize that that is antithetical to the ad hoc justification God that, hey, every, the deus ex machina God, right? That is antithetical to that. But, but this is kind of like, you know, I think the path to actual, uh, a kind of peace with one's faith. I, I think this, is, this has been my journey, the way I've had to reimagine God. Let me put it like that. Um, and I'm just curious if that resonates with you guys. I feel like it does. This is stuff I preach on all I feel like this is something I talk about all the time. May's laughing, at least. Thank you. Um, but I mean, does that resonate? Yeah, it does. I think um, that you just said, you said what I was thinking in my head in the, or you sort of put what was jumbled into something that was, that made sense of after death, what does it represent? And I mean, in this life, how many people struggle with being alone? In any, in so many sort of ways, you know what I mean? You're alone in tragedy. You're alone in your own home. You're alone without a relationship. You're alone. You know what I mean? Like there's so many different, there's so many ways of being alone. And I think that that sort of is the answer to the world's problems is just him being there and being with you during those times. 
Yeah, and I, I think we can think of it being a little like the way AA works or any kind of a 12-step program. You know, what makes it powerful is that you enter into a space where you say, I'm broken, I don't have the answers, I'm, I'm, I've got these troubles, and everyone says, welcome, you're accepted, we're just like you here. And it's in that shared space of uh, uh-huh. that space of shared suffering, something amazing happens. People find the courage to be, people find healing, they find new life. But it's not it's not ad hoc justifications and placated. There, there's, there's no placating. There's no right. you know easy answers. Oh, everything's going to be okay. No, it's it's everything's not going to be okay, right? But that makes it okay. You know you know what I mean? And and that's that's the cross. That that is that is the the message of the crucified God. That, that everything's not okay, but God is with us in the midst of that, and we are with each other, and Christ is with us through each other, and in that we find everything we need. That is our faith. Again, it's it's not it's not the the prosperity gospel, you know, message that everything God's in control and everything's gonna be okay. The cross is as simple as that. God is not in control. Right. Jesus cries out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Right. That that is not a symbol that everything is under control. <laughs> you know, but in that we find we find God's presence with us. It's it's dialectical. You know, I'm I'm using this big you know, but it's think of it in those terms. I, I think that is faith. Faith is you know, the embrace of, of these truths and, and the finding the courage to be here and now and finding God in the midst of this. Well, I'm going to say one more thing and then I'll let other people talk if they want to. But um, it reminds me of like my mom and my aunt. My mom and my aunt are very like my aunt has said to me, like, I think God's going to be not happy with me because I don't go out into the world and share the good news and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And my mother is so composed all the time, always in control. And her relationship with God is only her relationship with God. And as you're saying it, I think God wants us, like you said, in the AA thing is like, I think God wants us to come together and be a community and share our thoughts and be there for each other in realness. Um, And I think that that's what the people from my born again Christian background are lacking. They put so much emphasis on just you and God, you and God, you and God. And there's definitely a place for that because you need your own acceptance to be able to go out. But it's almost like admitting, like you have to go, hey, I'm a person that doesn't have my my crap together. You know what I mean? You have to sort of admit that where my mother and my aunt are, they do not do that. They pretend everything is fine all the time. And I think that's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. And I think you also have to acknowledge that suffering is going to happen. We're all going to suffer. And that that is a huge part of the shared human experience. And that's not God forsaking us and leaving us, you know, to the devil, that that's, that is just a part of the way that this is. And and like you said, Aaron, like that is, that is still where God is. God is showing up in those instances. And the sooner that we can accept that that's a part of our, our life and that that's uh, allows us to then go into the world and help others. Like, I think, I think that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the ultimate. We can then have our relationship with God. Right. Well, I please, it, it pleases me immensely to, to hear you reflect all that back and, you know, to, to, I feel like, feel like, you know, you get it. And it's not to say that I've got it all worked out or something like that, but I just, I really think that this is a map forward for people who can no longer believe in the, in the God of evangelicalism any longer right. and, and still find a faith worth attaching to uh-huh. and one, one that's more healthy and healing. And, and, and yeah. And so I'm really glad to hear you say that. Um, anybody else want to share today and have a, a, a point to make or a question? Um, sometimes I still struggle with the power of prayer. Um, you know, Jesus said, whatever you do in my name, ask in my name that I will do. And yet so many good people ask for their spouses to be cured or yeah. you know, young people who love God are killed. So I'm like, oh, sometimes I'm like, why pray? Yeah. <laughs> why bother? You know, it's like uh, what's going to happen is going to happen whether or not I pray. But then I, I keep praying anyway. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so do I. Yeah. You know, I think it also, part of what it means to reimagine God is also tied into what does it mean to reimagine prayer? What is prayer? You know, what, what, you know, when we read where Jesus says, you know, ask anything in my name and I'll, and I'll do it. 
you know, some of that stuff needs to be understood in a different context. It's not that, you know, if you just pray hard enough, you know, for a house, God's going to give you one. That's, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying there. You know, if you pray hard enough for a million dollars, Jesus is going to give you a million dollars. When you get away from that way of thinking about, you know, those texts, but more specifically, Randy, I, I think that prayer in the way that we understand it as you know, words we say to God, requests we make to God, even that is kind of one, a one-dimensional understanding of prayer. You know, our whole life is supposed to be a prayer that, 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 you know, God's kingdom come, right? The Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. How are we living out this, I, this prayer with our lives? How are we bringing forth God's kingdom in the world? Because our actions are prayers, right? Um, that's a different understanding of prayer. But more specifically, to pray even to, you know, like we did today, uh, for for Akilah's daughter, right? That is a way of joining each other in times of profound suffering and 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 spiritually comforting and consoling each other and crying out as Christ cried out on the cross, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" That too is a kind of prayer. You know, to pray is to say, in a way, we're at the end of our rope. You know, to pray is a tacit admission that we don't have a prayer, right? That that we're at the end of our rope. That you know, we're we're. We're throwing our hands up in the air. We're saying, God, help me, you know? That, that is a human expression we, we need to express. And, and that's prayer. And to meet each other in that and to pray for each other in those ways, I think is deeply meaningful still. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to believe in an all-powerful God to still pray to God. Um, you, you, don't, you know, prayer can take on other forms. Other, it, it can be deeply meaningful, again, as, as a way of connecting to each other and comforting each other still. Um, you don't have to have all the answers about, you know, who you're, in fact, I like what Caputo says. He says, if you know who you're praying to, it's not really prayer. It's only, it's only prayer. If you don't really know, you know, who you're praying to, you know, for prayer to really be prayer, you know, there has to, it has to be, you're entering into this mystery. Um, you're crying out into the void. That's prayer. You know, otherwise, if we know who we're praying to prayer is kind of like ordering a pizza, you know, prayer is not ordering a pizza. You know, prayer is crying out into the ineffable mystery and, and you know, meeting each other in the moments of profound suffering and, and spiritually consoling each other. That's prayer, I think. And for that reason, it's powerful. And maybe mm. for some other reasons, too. I don't have all the answers. I don't know. Mm. Let's, 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 you know, go that direction with it. Yeah. I guess praying for guidance to where I'm needed is helpful, too. Being led by the heart. And what yeah. you said, our actions can be prayers. Yes. Kind of like how I can bring the love into the world, you know, and help other people on their journeys and whatnot. Yeah. Good stuff. Tough questions. <laughs> good, good questions. Other, other remarks today? So this was a so this was a funny aside. I uh, I don't want to deviate us too much from the topic. I, I mean, I have my strong feelings about the problem of evil and and whether God has a plan. I could go on for a while about that, but there was something else. Um, and this is a great conversation. But there was something else I wanted to mention just from uh, what you had said originally, Aaron, about um, you know those uh, like there was that straw man you know, um, like those fallacies. And I think you had mentioned yes. Strawman. Yeah. Something that I found interesting and that I've been trying to try, and I don't know if this, I don't think this works all the time, but something that might be useful for other people. If you ever are in an argument with someone, um, they're the opposite of straw man. There's, I know there's like a steel manning sort of, okay. uh, um, sort of strategy where you try to present back to the person that you're having a disagreement with, the best possible version of their argument, or you try your best to understand and present back to them what it is they're trying to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're, you're trying your best to hear them, give them the benefit of the doubt and, and try to present back exactly what it is. Cause, cause you know, there can be a lot of miscommunication and all that kind of stuff in an argument and whatnot. And uh, so sometimes that's an interesting tactic in, uh, in a disagreement between two people is have both people stop for a second and try to present the argument back to the other person, you know, the other person's argument back to them. And then yeah. let that person respond and say, if they feel like that's accurate, you know what I mean? If you feel like you're accurately representing what it is they're trying to say and that sort of thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying it solves things, but sometimes it can actually be a nice moment of generosity or a nice moment of full, you know, cause a lot of times people just want to be heard 
Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, yep. For their opinion or their thoughts or whatever. And so um, sometimes that can actually help I more healthy awesome conversation. So. Steel, ma- steel manning. Steel, steel manning. manning. I haven't yeah. heard of that. I haven't heard of that before. That, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. We should practice steel manning, you know, not fear, <laughs> not fear of the truth. Steel yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Great stuff today. Anybody else? We've got a few minutes left. I have one other thing I would yeah. just say. Please. So this discussion has reminded me of a sermon. I'm looking at myself in the camera. So this um, is reminding me of a sermon that was given at my, you know, at my previous church. And uh, and it was about reimagining the crucifixion, which is kind of what you mentioned. But the whole argument was like, let's just take time because we always try to situate it. I think the the big the argument was basically we always try to situate it as like you were saying, like this is all part of this message and that, and it means this and it means that. And he was just like, but what if it's just sad? Mm-hmm. And it's just this moment of sadness. Yes. And we see these people grieving the loss of their friend and this person they love. And what if the the story isn't, is part of this larger thing? What if the story is just, this is a terrible thing that's happened and it's sad. And that was like, oh, right. So it was that same thing of like, oh, like let's just give space to the fact that this was sad and that's it. Yeah. So it's kind of that same, it reminds me of what you were saying. Like, what if we just stop trying to be like, but it has to mean, and it has to mean. He was like, what if it just means it's sad? And I've never forgotten it. That's like one of the most powerful summons I've heard. I'm, I'm never going to forget that either. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really powerful. And we don't like to just sit with sadness, do we? But, you know, therapy teaches us, right? That that's an important skill to learn, right? To make peace with just, it's okay to be sad. Yeah, I think that's really profound. Thank you, Akila. Yeah. It's okay not to have the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's end with that. I think that's a great, <laughs> a great place. To end. So, uh, you know, we don't have to end on an up note. You know, that's in my opinion, that's an up note. But uh, <laughs> I want to thank you all for being here today and engaging in another really great conversation. And throughout this series, it's been great. Um, not sure exactly what the next series is going to be on, uh, but. We'll definitely have a good topic next week. <laughs> but um, thanks so much for being here, everybody. And I hope you enjoy uh, Halloween. Um, you know, you're never too old to go trick-or-treating. Well, well, maybe. Maybe you are. Exactly. Uh, but uh, thanks again for being here. And uh, go in peace, friends. Mm-hmm.